Lord, we are grateful that we can be gathered together like this as a church this morning, that we can worship you together, that we can look into your word, we can understand it, you speak to us through it, and, and as you speak, that we can be drawn to you and learn to know you better. I pray this morning that you bless Brother Lauren as he brings this message, pray that it would speak to us, and may you guide him, may you guide his lips, his thoughts, and may you... Bring the message that you would have for us to hear. Thank you again for the blood that you shed on the cross for us, that you are our advocate and we can place our trust in you, knowing that you have brought us salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Greet each one in Jesus' name this morning, and welcome to our time of worship here this morning. Before we go into the message, I just want to share um, things I'm thankful for, and I want to thank you as a church for your contribution to our family. A couple weeks ago when you lifted the offering, we appreciate that. We appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your encouragement, and I'm thankful for people that uh, contribute to my life um, as I've taken on this role in the last few years. There's people that have that I've seen sacrifice um, for my sake, and I, I, I appreciate that. I'm thankful for God, to God, for people that are willing to, to contribute to my life, and, and along with what Marvin said about community, it takes a community um, to advance the kingdom of God, and I'm grateful for the community here at Crystal Valley this morning. As has been mentioned a few times this morning already, uh, we've just commemorated Thanksgiving here in our nation. And so this morning I will be looking at a few things about thankfulness along with some other points on the passage that I'll be looking at. And I hope it's been a time for us to step back a little bit and consider the things that God has done for us and to reflect and to be thankful for what he has given us. Too many times our human tendency is to not be satisfied with what we have, but we want more. But may God help us to become more like Christ. So this morning I want to look at Ephesians 5 for a text. And like I mentioned, I chose this text because of its references to thankfulness. But as I studied it, as I dug into it, there was some other lessons in there that I want to bring out. As, you know, as, as scripture is, there's so much packed into there. So we'll be looking at Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21, and, and draw some lessons from that this morning. And before we go into that, um, I want to look a little bit at the context of Ephesians and consider the um, culture that Paul was writing to. So it was written by Paul... And it was written to the church in Ephesus and the churches in the surrounding areas. And this epistle was written while Paul was in prison by the Romans. Paul had spent a number of years at this church. He had spent a few years after his second missionary journey as well as his third missionary journey. He spent a few, few years here establishing the churches. This was also the city where... 
Is that better? Okay. This was also the city where there was a silversmith uh, called Demetrius who had made uh, items for the worship of the goddess Diana in the city of Ephesus. And he lost so much business through Paul's preaching and people converting to Christianity that he caused a near riot and Paul left the city at that time. The book of Ephesians is a good one for us to study for a couple of reasons. Many of Paul's epistles were written to specific churches for specific problems and issues that they faced in their church, but Ephesians is a more general epistle. In the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul focuses on God's overarching plan for the, of salvation, how God was bringing in the Gentiles into his kingdom and making them fellow heirs of the kingdom of God. Paul then wrote about his own personal experiences and his calling on his life, which was to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. The, the call to take the gospel beyond the borders of Israel, and Paul was the man that God had chosen for this. These are the topics that we see in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Then in the last three chapters, he focuses more on the practicality of of this. What does that actually mean? And he addresses topics such as the church as a body, spiritual gifting, spiritual stability, family and work relations, also spiritual warfare and how to be prepared for it. That's just a few topics that he talks about. And then another reason it's good to study this book is the cultural setting of the city of Ephesus. It reminds us a lot of the culture that we live in here in North America today. Ephesus was a port city and it was a center of wealth, entertainment, and education. And it was also located close to a few key land routes that brought much trade to the city. The city was once considered the most important Greek city and the most important trading center in the Mediterranean. The mouth of the river that came out at Ephesus was the best natural harbor in the eastern Mediterranean. And the valley that was created by this river also brought the caravans by land to this port city. So this was a place that brought people from far and wide, brought lots of ideas from abroad. It's also said that the degenerate lifestyle of the Ephesians was even worse than that what we see today. There was much wealth, much entertainment, and a lot happening in the city of Ephesus. And in my studies, there were a number of things that reminded us, reminded me of the culture we live in today. So I think the words that Paul wrote here fit us well, and we do well to, to look at what Paul has for us. So let's read the text at this time. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 21. Verse 1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself, have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints, Neither filthiness, nor foolishness, foolish talking, or jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of 
Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of these things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto, the, unto God and the Father, even in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. <clears throat> So I'll stop reading there. Would somebody mind getting a cup of water? I think the cup of water didn't make it up here this morning. and probably going to need that. Thank you, Ken. So to start off at the beginning of the chapter, the first point I want to look at is Paul calling us to be imitators of Christ. In verse 1, he says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And I, it was really interesting this morning as we got into our Sunday school lesson, John referring to us as dear children also. And so I didn't know that this was, we were going to have the references in both of these passages about children. But I want to think about that a little bit, being imitators of Christ as children. And if we think about verse 1 here, being followers of God as dear children, that is the Christian life in a nutshell. Thank you, Ken. We're saved by the blood of Jesus that he shed on Calvary for all of mankind so that now we have the power to live as Jesus did. We are to walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a loving child would. And I think we can pro probably understand the picture that Paul is trying to paint here. A young child usually wants to follow in the footsteps of his parents or another adult in his life. One quote I read said, children are the world's best imitators. Children learn and develop by observing and then doing. How many times have you seen a child do something and then smiled because you knew where he learned that? Um, you, you've seen that um, done somewhere else. Children are very observant, constantly taking in what's going on around them and then repeating it. These actions make up who the child will become. This can be a very good thing or also a not-so-good thing, depending on the uh, behavior they're observing. I found it fascinating that researchers tested a group of toddlers, and they found with as little as 20-second video on television that a toddler could repeat what they saw. The Mis Michigan State University did a study that says young children can and will copy what they see happen on television. An experiment done to see if children would imitate what they see Researchers tested 120 toddlers that were 14 or 24 months of age. 
Half of the children watched a short video of a stranger playing with a new toy by pulling it apart in the same motion three times. The other half of the children were split into two groups. One group watched a video of the stranger playing with the toy without taking it apart. The other half did not watch the video at all. Of the 24 months old that saw the video the toy of the toy being taken apart, 90% took the toy apart just as the person in the video, but those who didn't see the person take the toy apart, only 20% took it apart on their own. This is a clear sign that two toddlers can imitate what they see. In the younger children, 65% of those who saw the video of the toy being taken apart took it apart in the same way, while only 30% took the toy apart on their own. This research is clear that babies as young as 14 months old will copy what they see and that children that are two years old are more likely to be imitating what they see even when it is a stranger. So I think this is what Paul was referring to is young children being very impressionable and then imitating the behavior they, they uh, observe. And I think this is a powerful lesson for all of us, not just young children. The things that we watch, the things that we listen to and observe will change us. And so we are called to observe Jesus. How did Jesus walk? What, what do these footsteps look like that we are to walk in? And are we observing the behavior of Jesus Christ? These are questions that we need to be asking ourselves. We observe by immersing ourselves in scripture. We need to let the words of Christ speak to our hearts. We need to allow the spirit to speak to us as we read the word and commune with him. I think there's a danger today with so much information and so much even good, solid Christian literature and information available that we have a tendency to start leaning on other people to interpret and to commune or to dig into scripture and then we take what they have learned and apply it to our lives. But I think it's good for us to dig into the word on our own. Let the Lord speak through us through his word. And this is especially detrimental when we lean mostly on one person's writing and we become a disciple of one of that person instead of a disciple of Christ. So how did Jesus walk? Paul tells us that in verse two. He said he walked in love. And as we think about that, a key identifier of those who believe in Christ are, are those who walk in love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, this is a sign that we are a disciple of Christ if we love one another. We need to walk in love as Christ did, and he loved us, and we are called to do the same. And here, when we think about and consider walking in love, that indicates that there's an action that we are to continually be showing love. We are to be walking, not standing still, but walking. 1 Corinthians 13, also the very familiar passage to us called the love chapter, tells us that even good things not done in love are empty. We are called to love the brethren, and that includes the broader body of Christ. Not just people here, at Crystal Valley, which is important, but we are to love the brethren beyond our walls here. But the love of Christ goes even beyond that. It calls us to love even those who we call our enemies. God's love is very powerful indeed. And our sacrificial love and life as we live out the love of Jesus Christ is what is a sweet-smelling savor to God. You know, we, 
read in the Old Testament how the sacrifices were, came up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. You know, we tend to think that the era of sacrifices is past, but I think God still expects us to offer sacrifices to him, and that sacrifice is our life. That is a sweet-smelling savor to God. And as we think about um, a sweet-smelling savor, I was thinking about, you know, sitting under a lilac tree in the springtime in the sunshine. That's nice, sweet smell of the blooms. I think that's a, a picture we get when God sees us living a life of love to those around us. Moving on, and then we look at verses 3 through 5. Paul calls us to a life of purity. The things that Paul tells us here were probably very, to not be a part of, were probably very common in the city of Ephesus. And these things, if they are a part of our life, will avoid our inheritance in the kingdom of God. And Paul warns us that in verse 6 that there will be those who try to persuade us otherwise. There will be people with vain words that try to persuade us that these things are acceptable in the life of the believer. And that is very common in our culture today. Paul teaches us that as we become a disciple of Christ, we experience a transformation in our life, and we move from the darkness into the light. As we've been studying in our Sunday school lesson, God is light, and therefore those who are of his kingdom will be light. And then in verse 4, he talks about sanctified speech. And this is where I want to focus a little bit on thanksgiving. The words that we speak are a testimony of our relationship with God. And this passage doesn't just tell us what we shouldn't do, but it also tells us what we should do instead. When we experience the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ and start to get a glimpse of who God is, we will see things in a new life. And we'll start to not just look at ourselves, you know, inwardly at ourselves, but we'll start to look around at who God is and who others are, and this will affect the words that we speak. The types of speech that Paul refers to here often make light of what God has intended for good, and it degrades other people, and none of these are what God intends for those who are part of his kingdom. Let's first of all look at um, a few examples of what ingratitude and complaining does to our lives in scripture. The first example I want to think about is the children of Israel as they journeyed from Egypt into the promised land. In Numbers 21, we have the account where the complaining brought physical death to the Israelites. As God was leading them around Edom, instead of the Israelites rejoicing in their deliverance from Egypt, from bondage and slavery, and their hard labor, they instead chose to focus on the things that were difficult in the moment, and they accused God of trying to destroy them. The Israelites had just left a nation that was actually trying to destroy them, and God miraculously delivered them, and now they were accusing their deliverer of trying to do the same thing. They accused God of bringing them into the wilderness to die, which was a false accusation. And in Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that we need to learn from this mistake that the Israelites made as they journeyed through the wilderness. He, need, he points out that we need to have a humble spirit so that we don't become trapped in the same thing they did. 
But he also inserted a word of encouragement here. This is where the verse where we find that all temptations that come to us are normal. This would be common temptation for us to face that when we face something we don't like, we start to complain. So don't think that you're unusual if this is a temptation you're facing. This is a common temptation, and, and most temptations that come to us are common to all men. So Paul is encouraging us here that even in light of this, that God will not allow us to be tempted above our ability to escape the temptation. So take comfort in the fact that even though you may struggle with this, of seeing things in a negative light, God will be there to help you through that. God will not allow something into your life that you have no way out of, but instead he will provide a way for you to avoid that trap. God cares about each one of us individually, and he's there to help us through these difficult times. Ingratitude comes from selfishness and looking at my own wants and forgetting to consider God's goodness or of those around me. It shows that what God has done for me and what others have done for me is not good enough, and it reveals pride within my heart. God takes ungratefulness very seriously, and that's something that we can easily forget. Ingratitude leads us away from God, and it results in spiritual death, as we see in Romans 1. We see people here who knew God, but they failed to recognize God and failed to thank him for who he was, and that led them away from God. It led them into deception and away from God. The child of God who has a close relationship with him recognizes him for who he is and will speak words of gratitude. Ingratitude and complaining also hinders the light of God from shining in our lives. And we see that in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15 say, Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among who you shine as lights in the world. Here again, the Apostle Paul explains to us why it is important that we live with a heart of gratitude. Ingratitude dims the light of the Lord in our lives. And notice how he points out in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. I don't think Paul would be shocked by the culture we lived in today, as much of the wickedness that he faced in his day was similar to what we do today. And he is telling us that even in the midst of this wickedness, God wants us to live with a heart of contentment and peace, so that as people who are caught up in the wickedness and darkness see your life, it's a beckoning light to them. Here is a person that, as a, that is at peace and content, and that is an inviting light to them. But when we allow ourselves to become discontent and are no longer at peace with God or with us in the heart, we simply become a part of the darkness. Discontentment robs us of peace, it robs us of our oneness with God, and it robs the world of the light of God. And as I studied the Word of God on, on this topic, I was convicted on you know, the sin of complaining and murmuring and got a glimpse of the reality of God's view on murmuring and complaining. And I think we probably have to admit that this falls into the category of the acceptable sins, meaning we fail to realize the sin for what it actually is. 
and we don't take it as seriously as we do some other things. So instead of ungratefulness and complaints, what does the heart of the child of God bring forth? As Jesus said in the book of Matthew, out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Jesus teaches us that what our heart is full of, that is what will spill out through our mouth. If we have a vibrant relationship with the Lord, our hearts will be full of love and adoration for him, and therefore our words will be words that honor him. You know, I, th I think as we focus on our relationship with God, that is what will produce heart, a heart of gratitude and therefore a speech of gratitude. If we go back uh, in the previous chapter, Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may gr minister grace unto the hearers. The words that a child of God speak is to edify others. Our words are to build up those who hear what we have spoken and not tear them down. They are to be gracious, meaning polite, courteous, and conveying goodwill, not the obscene, vulgar words and coarse joking that Paul referred to in verse 4. As we are changed into new creation by our faith in Jesus Christ, our words will go from corrupted words to words of thankfulness and praise, words that express our gratitude for what God has done for us and appreciation for what our fellow man had done for us as well. So now I want to move on to the latter portion of today's text and where Paul calls us to live wisely. And I'll be focusing now on verses 15 through 21. And the, Paul is teaching us here that because of the darkness of the times, we are to use our time wisely. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Make the most of the time God has given you. The culture, like I said, in Ephesus had a lot of evil in it. And now today we also hear how there is so much evil in the world. And Paul is telling us in times like these, it is imperative that we use our time well. And Paul elaborates on this point more in the following verses. God wants his people to live in holiness in these evil times and not get in, pulled into the darkness of the world. We are to live soberly, not in drunkenness. Drunkenness doesn't result in living wisely and in moderation. But as Paul says here, it results in us taking actions that are extreme and resulting in hurt to ourselves and those around us. But instead, he calls us to be filled with the Spirit. And I think that's, a, that's an area of our life that's easy to overlook, is being filled with the Spirit. It's one that I think we need to work on. I think there's a number of things that may cause us to um, fail when it comes to living by the direction of the Holy Spirit. You know, as, us as humans, we like the recipe for success not just in Christian living, but in many areas of life. You know, for example, when we visit someone's house and there's a, there's a dish that everybody really enjoys, most times the host will get asked, you know, what recipe was that? You know, can I have the recipe? You know, we want to go home and we want to make that same dish so we can enjoy it again, and we want the recipe so we can, we can repeat it. And there's many similar scenarios like that when we see something, and we like it, and then we want someone to give us the recipe for success. And I think that's one reason why we struggle with living by the direction of the Holy Spirit. In our, you know, in our human nature, we want to check the boxes so we know that we have done it right. And the, 
relationship with the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Like I said, it's a relationship. You know, in, in our other relationships with people, you know, in a marriage relationship or a relationship with good friends, we don't check a bunch of boxes, but we actually get to know them. We listen to their heart, and that's how it is when we relate to the Holy Spirit. Also, another reason I believe is we have seen living by the Spirit done poorly. We've often observed the term living by the Spirit used to excuse ways that deviate from the teachings of the Word of God. And this is not what Paul means when he talks about being filled with the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one and work in harmony. And we see a contradiction between the Word of God in Scripture and the actions said to be directed by the Spirit. It is man creating the contradiction, not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who inspired the Word of God through these apostles that wrote these words. And so he will not contradict himself. So I think it's good for us to consider how we can live by the Spirit. And the more we allow ourselves to be used by God and allow him to take us out into the deep water, so to speak, where we know that in our own strength we cannot accomplish this, that's when we will feel the power of the Spirit working through us. And this is when we start to grasp the power of the Holy Spirit. And in our humanity, we want to stay where it's comfortable and safe. And, you know, that's me. I, I confess I'm, I'm the same way. We want to stay where it's safe. And that's how I tend to respond. But in, but in the times when I've said yes to God and, and allowed him to take me beyond my comfort zone when things look like a large mountain, that's when I felt the power of the Spirit working in my life. So living in the Spirit creates an attitude of thankfulness. As I've said before in the first part of the chapter, Paul paints a picture of darkness in the world. And he says it's so vile it's shameful to even talk about what's being done. But then he calls us to thankfulness. You know, oftentimes we are problem solvers and solution-oriented people. And so we want to fix a situation that we think isn't right. When we see a problem, we want to, to fix it. So what Paul teaches us here is not what we expect. In these dark and evil times, he tells us that what we need to do is to give thanks. In times like these, we are still to have joy in our hearts. We are still to thank the Lord for his goodness, and we are to be singing songs and giving thanks to him. Instead of complaining about the conditions that we find ourselves in, we are to be thankful and to be the lights of the world. Paul didn't just teach this concept, but he also lived it out. We think about his time in prison with Silas. They were singing at midnight even while they were in chains. You know, Paul references here, he references drunkenness versus being filled with the Holy Spirit. And drunkenness will cause us to do things in the extreme. And the Christians were actually accused of being drunk at times because of the extreme things they were doing. But Paul and Silas, as they were in prison, they were doing something in the extreme. But it was not because of an excess of alcohol, but it was because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that God can work in ways beyond what we could do ourselves so that we can be a light to the world. And in verse 20, Paul uses the word always. 
we are to be thankful always, not just, you know, Thanksgiving week or Thanksgiving day or at church this morning, but always, as was mentioned before, even as we are in the midst of darkness, God calls us to be thankful. We are to bring the light of the world by our willingness to be thankful in the midst of darkness. Our response to a dark world is not judgment, harsh words, and demeaning attitudes, but a life that reflects the rays of God's love into the darkness by our words of thankfulness. So just a few thoughts as we wrap up here today. This passage of scripture shows us the beauty of God's message through the gospel. In verse 8, Paul reminds us that we were once living in darkness, but now we are children of the light. We were also once a part of the darkness, but God in his love has transformed us from darkness into the light. It's only God that could orchestrate such a beautiful story out of our past of sin and darkness. We have all lived in darkness, but God has now given us the opportunity to live in the beauty of his pure light. In the evil day we live in, God calls us as his children to live a life of gratitude. The words that we speak reflect our relationship with the Father. The closer our relationship is with him, the more we know about him, the more our words will reflect thankfulness and gratitude. There are days, you know, I'm sure when we despair at the brokenness in our world, and while we do not turn a blind eye to the things and the state of our culture, I was once again challenged by the words of scripture that in the midst of all this, we as the people of God are to be living a life of gratitude. As believers in the Lord, we are the example of gratitude in the world. We have experienced the Lord. We have seen his goodness and how he is good. Let's express that to the world. If we fall into the spirit of gratitude, ingratitude and complaining, we are just joining the darkness of this world. So let's allow the spirit to work in us to bring forth the praises of him who has brought us to the light and doing so dispel some of the darkness in our world today. With these thoughts, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear loving Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning with grateful hearts. We thank you for your amazing love. And we just pray this morning that as we live in our community here in New York, we just pray that we would allow our lives to be reflectors of your majesty. Let our words be upbuilding, let our words show our gratitude to you for what you have done in our lives, and that we could be lights for you in this community. We just pray that you would bless each one as they go from here, guide them with your spirit, and draw them near to you. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.